Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, Chris Ophalius here. If you're listening to this on the day it comes out, it is currently October 7th, 2021. We've just begun spooky season and all of the episodes of Chris to Makes a Podcast are at least somewhat Halloween themed. And we're also having a lot of fun over on the After Party Podcast. For anyone who doesn't know, the After Party is our weekly podcast that we release to everyone who is part of our supporting cast program. We have a big back catalog of episodes of the After Party now, and that includes episodes about things like artists who we used to hate but now love, our first compact discs, enormous songs that we can't stand, and on and on and on. So if you'd like to check out these episodes and get a new episode every week and support Chris Demakes a podcast, which we hope you already love, you can head over to ChrisDemakes.com and sign up for our supporting cast program. For a couple of bucks a month, you can keep us going and help us continue to get all the best guests talking about all the best songs. Okay, and we've done this a few times before, but never have we done a sneak preview of an episode of The After Party before it comes out. But that's what we're doing today. We're starting a new series with The After Party podcast called Classic Albums Revisited, in which Chris and I do a track-by-track look back at entire albums. And what better place to start than with Green Day's 1994 classic, Dookie. We're going to give you the first 15 minutes or so of this episode, and for those of you who are already part of our supporting cast, you'll be able to hear the rest of it this coming Monday, and for anyone who isn't and wants to hear the rest, all you got to do is head over to chrisdemakes.com and sign up. Okay, that's all for now. I'm going to go watch Squid Game while you guys enjoy this little sneak peek of the after party. Welcome to the after party. Hey everybody, welcome to the After Party and a new special little series we have going here uh, for the After Party. Uh, We're calling this Classic Albums Revisited. And what better place to start for a classic album series than on February 1st, 1994, when an album was released into the world that at least partially changed the musical landscape of my life. And that was Green Day Dookie. And I'm sure a lot of people out there listening to this can say the same exact thing. Absolutely. You know, the band, they were on pretty much every punk rocker's radar prior to this, but they hadn't broke out to the masses. And uh, it was it was really cool to see uh, their trajectory and, and how the band started. And 
how they promoted themselves and, and what Lookout Records was doing uh, as an independent label at that time. And, you know, Green Day was was really the, the catalyst that, uh, you know, it, it, it paved the way for bands such as uh, Offspring and Rancid uh, later on to, to have the, the meteoric success that, that they had. For sure. I had some friends that were into punk rock, a few older friends who maybe knew a little bit more than me. But I'm sure that it all stems back to Green Day one way or another, because I was thinking about this beforehand and I was like, well, I would have found out about like the Fat Records catalog from this person or, you know, I was thinking about these other bands. But then I'm like, I was thinking about Rancid, Operation Ivy, all these kind of bands. I'm like, well, wait a second. It may have been Green Day that kind of led, you know, me personally to go backwards because I found out about Dookie first. I was a young kid when this came out. So I went backwards and was like, oh, Kerplunk's awesome too. Oh, the first album's awesome too. And then it was the entire Lookout Records catalog was open to me. Not just Lookout Records. It was the entire punk rock world was open to me. And I'm sure that Green Day was at least in part responsible for that for lots and lots of people. Absolutely. You know, the the band, I had first heard of them, it was late... Uh, late 1990 or early 1991, I was still in high school, and uh, you know, Vinny Fiorello, uh, Less Than Jake's former drummer, he had this cassette with uh, actually, I, I believe I take that back, I think he had, I think it was like called 1039 Smoothed Out Slappy Hours. <laughs> it was a seven inch, and it had like four songs, uh, two songs per side off that, uh, what was the first record, 39 Smooth, and I just immediately, it was everything that I was, I liked about punk rock coming out of the Bay Area and the Lookout record style, but there was that underlying uh, pop sensibilities of the melodies with Billy that just made it just just stand out. The music was still aggressive, but uh, I, I was hooked from the, the time I, I, I first heard this band. Yeah, I was too. And even listening to this album again, I mean, I still listen to this album, but maybe it's been, I don't know, may have been a year since I listened to this album. And... Even when I listen to it now, everything about this band, everybody brings their own thing and it just works. Nothing is boring. Everything is so exciting, especially on this album, man. The drums, the bass cuts through so well. The melodies are amazing. The lyrics, the subject matter, just the energy. Everything about this album is just, if we're going to use pop punk as a uh, defining genre or whatever. This is the holy grail of that, you know? And it's just three guys. That's what's so impressive to me is three guys. And it's not like there's all these, I'm sure there's some overdubs and stuff, but for the most part, you're hearing a guitar, bass, drums, vocals. That's all there is. And it sounds so huge. Yeah, I mean, you know, in talking to, to producer Rob Cavallo, who uh, Less Than Jake ended up working with on our anthem record, you know, we were just enamored with the fact that we were working with Rob to begin with. He was just a legendary producer. And uh, I, I drilled him with questions about this record, uh, which we'll get to in, in, in a little bit. But basically, he just said in a nutshell, all I wanted to do was capture what this band did live. I didn't feel like they had captured it on their first two records. They were, you know, uh, independent rough punk recordings, but, uh, you know, fast forwarding to the second record, Kerplunk, uh, you know, it was interesting. As big as Lookout was and, and as much as I thought that I and Vinny and other people in the punk scene, especially in Gainesville, had our pulse on, on what was going on, uh, Lookout, I, I didn't see a thing about this record coming out. 
And, uh, you know, back in the early 90s, there was probably three or four uh, alternative uh, punk record stores in Gainesville. And I'm thumbing through one day and I see Kerplunk. I'm like, what is this? I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is like the new Green Day album. I was like freaking out. I went home. Vinny was still living down in my hometown of Port Charlotte. I called him. He's like, what? There's a new record? I'm like, yeah, man, I'll, I'll dub you a cassette and I'll mail it out tomorrow, which I did. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that record, it was like, wow, there was a progression there. That was Trey's first record uh, that he played on. And uh, that was the first year that I saw Green Day and it was with Trey. And it was it was incredible. Yeah, you can definitely tell the big step up in the recording between those two and then obviously up to Dookie as well. Uh, but they even from that first album, even from the 1039 Smoothed Out Slappy Hours album, the songs, man, the songs were already great, even with rough recording and or whatever. The the, the they've always had great songs. Oh yeah, there was songs that there was songs on Dookie that it could have been on the first two records. That's why you know anyone that wanted to cry sell out at Green Day, uh, you were missing the mark because this this band didn't change their their core sound at all. No, Rob just produced just produced the band correctly, and uh, it it sounded like you know like a truck coming at you. That that Dookie record, it still holds up today. Yeah, and I saw an interview with Billy Joe where he talked about. They wanted to work with Rob Cavallo specifically when they got signed because of a Muffs recording that he had done that they loved. Yeah, yeah, Rob had done Rob had done that record and Rob's just a I mean he's a I think a lot of producers are but I mean his biggest uh influence as a producer is the Beatles. Billy Joe loves the Beatles and I really think that that's where he kind of uh got past Billy's wall, you know. Billy was like a lot of us as young songwriters just kind of guarded uh about his songwriting and Rob told me some stories, you know. It was it was it was tough getting them to uh uh, want to listen essentially to to, to the fourth uh, person in a band, the producer, the fourth ingredient of saying, "Hey, you know, I think here, I think this is what you should do with your songs," and and that's hard as a young songwriter. Um, it was March of '93 that Green Day rolled back through Gainesville. Uh, I saw them for the second time, and it was that night that they played "She," they played "Basket Case," "When I Come Around," and "Longview." So this was a full. 10 months before the record uh, was released. I remember Longview in particular that night, just that bass line. And I was like, man, this song is incredible. And Rob told me that everything about that song was the same. I think there's actually a, a demo on YouTube. Uh, but the very ending, the chorus was only once. And he said, chorus needs to be doubled. And uh, Billy argued with him. <laughs> and Rob's like, Rob basically said, you know, come here. And he played him like a bunch of songs, I don't know, Beatles songs, different songs of how, you know, the last chorus you kind of drive home. And Billy's kind of like, okay, I don't have a point here. And it ended up being being how it was. But uh, I remember them playing uh, those songs. I remember when I come around that night, I thought it was just so cool. It reminded me of this band on Lookout at the time called Crimp Shrine, who didn't really have any vocal melody, but they would play this kind of sludgy punk rock. And when I come around was a different different song for Green Day at that point. It was September of 93. They came back through Gainesville at a bigger venue because they were supporting Bad Religion. It was Seaweed, Green Day, and Bad Religion. And when Green Day played that night, 
Uh, there was probably 1,200 people in the, in the building. It was basically their show. I mean, I love Bad Religion, but you could just feel the energy in the air. And they played Longview. Uh, again that night uh, I think Basket Case and the other songs I mentioned but Longview in particular I remember hearing that and I already kind of knew the song second time hearing it that's how catchy it was dude when you listen to this album front to back it runs you over I noticed that there's a a common thread of all the songs on this album yet every song every song on this album is also its own thing it's very interesting because it kind of sounds the same. Yeah, Longview sounds a little different, and When I Come Around sounds a little different than the rest of it. But it's also every song stands on its own. It's amazing, like what they did, this perfect 14 and a half songs or whatever. But I wanted to talk about, I wanted to go through these songs and, and kind of talk about each one. Like, sure, like sure. something that stands out about these songs. And I, it starts with Burnout, which, dude, how awesome is it to just start boom vocals? I I dream that I don't care no more. You're appealing to young people. I mean, not just young people. Anyone can relate to these lyrics, but that first song is just, I mean, it's, it's a perfect first song, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, and, and you know, I know my band took a, a page out of that book with, with kind of self-deprecating lyrics, almost that could fit in with what was happening in the alternative grunge scene at the time, that lyric you just laid out, yeah. but yet it was sung over this poppy music. It's like, yeah. wait a second, there's this dark, angsty lyric that all these teenagers around the world are going to immediately gravitate to and get, but... Uh, there's this poppy music behind it. It's not dirgy. It's not grungy. It's not, uh, you know, minor chords. It's it's poppy. It's up, upbeat, major. And that is a common theme on this album is these dark lyrics. It's, I'm not growing up. I'm just burning out and I stand in line to walk amongst the dead, which... If you sang that in a grunge song, <laughs> it could sound like some dark shit. But in this song, it's just such an upbeat, uplifting song musically paired with such dark lyrics. I mean, th this had to be an influence of like Alkaline Trio, you know, <laughs> like it's kind of the same yeah. sort of thing. And uh, yeah, so I just think Burnout's such a great first song. And Trey gets to show off in the first song. Yeah, and he was he was just such a such a great uh, a great force and still is in this band. Just uh, the the drumming on the first record with John Kiffmeyer, uh, great drumming, and it's interesting. Uh, kind of feels like Trey has a lot of the same movements and sound, and, and and Trey was able to keep the Green Day sound but make it his own. You know that that little drum solo he does in Burnout, uh, it's amazing. I can hear. Uh, I can hear Keith Moon in there, just the reckless abandon of the drumming. I know the Who is a, uh, Trey is a huge uh, Who fan, but what that part reminded me of from the very first time I heard it, Chris, I don't know if you, you've ever heard of this song. It's the first track uh, back in 1978. Kiss did four solo records. Uh, each band member put a solo record out. They all flopped it except for Ace Fraley's. And, and Ace's record, the first song on the record is called Rip It Out. And there's a drum part in the middle of that song, a uh, bridge part, that's very reminiscent uh, uh, of Burnout. Hey. 
Anton Fig plays the drums. Anton was a famous session player. I believe played played with David Letterman's band. And it the first time I heard him, like, wow, he definitely heard "Rip It Out." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, I think Trey his band is enormous, so it's hard to say that someone's underrated. But I don't hear people talk about Trey in these like "Who's the best drummer?" conversations. Everyone's talking about Travis and Josh Freeze and everybody, but. I think Trey, I think you can make a pretty good argument for him. He's very unique. It's it's uh it's it's like the same argument I make for Ringo is like people sometimes don't want to talk about Ringo, but his parts are so unique and almost singable. I well, I, I I have one word for Trey Cool, solid. Yeah. I mean, and and just solid all around. I've I've seen him live. Uh, the groove is just there. It's it's uh, the, the the guy's flawless. And you're right. I think I think he should be mentioned in those circles of the Travis Barkers and Josh Freeze. I think he's that good. As we move to the second song of the album, it's having a blast. And when I listen to this song, the first thing I'm thinking is, which I've never thought about before today, is wow. Could you write this song now and get away with it? It's like a lot about like no one here is getting out alive. I wouldn't take anything away from that. And I'm sure that's not what what they meant, but I could see these lyrics of this song getting extra scrutinized if it came out today when you look at it. I hope you all enjoyed that little sneak peek of the after party. Like I said, this whole episode will be released on Monday, October 11th, 2021. So if you're part of our supporting cast, you could check it out then. If you're not, head over to kristamakes.com and sign up. Not only will you hear this episode and all upcoming episodes, but you also get an entire back catalog of great pods. Not to mention, you'll be keeping the lights on over here at Krista Makes a Podcast. Thanks, everybody. Hell yeah. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts.